picture this. You're sitting with your phone trying to find one more way to reach your audience. You know you need another way to get your content out there to those who need it, but in a way that draws them in. You can do this through podcasting. Now you know podcasting can work, but how do you start? You can always hire someone to do it for you, but what if you just don't have the financial ability to do so or simply just don't want to spend the money? What if I told you you can get all of the steps from an experienced podcast manager to help you do this yourself? I have created the Podcast Launch Companion to help do exactly this. This is not another course from someone who has not helped dozens of podcasters get started. This is the exact process I use with my launch clients, step-by-step, for you to do on your own at a fraction of the done-for-you launch price. If you are ready to get a podcast launched by summer, click the link in the show notes or visit allisonnitch.com slash DIY. That's allisonnitch.com slash DIY to learn more. Now on to the episode. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Podcast with Purpose. We are kind of bringing a juicy topic, something we wanted to talk about, but we're going to talk about mental health, anxiety, depression, stress, panic attacks, all the things that we've gone through. We're not professionals. We are not giving advice. We're just telling our story of what we've gone through both as teachers, as moms, things that we've dealt with. And so we just thought this would be kind of an episode that might relate to other moms, business owners, online business owners, teachers, just any woman in general. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to Podcast with Purpose with Allison Nitch and Rachel Linhart, a podcast for entrepreneurs, moms, teachers, and online business owners who know they have a bigger purpose. We are both former teachers turned podcast managers who took a big leap, changing careers and navigating the unknown after many years in the classroom. We struggled for so long trying to balance mom life, careers, and all the things. Listening to podcasts showed us that there was more to our careers than the four walls of our classroom. It opened doors to a world we didn't know existed. Every other Tuesday, we will be bringing you real conversations to help inspire, motivate, and walk you through everyday life. Listen in as we share stories about motherhood, mental health challenges, and becoming online business owners with some podcasting tips sprinkled in. Around here, we are all about real, raw, and honest conversations in a judgment-free space. We want to share all things we wish someone had shared with us as we navigated big changes and new seasons in our lives. So grab a cup of coffee, water, or wine. Remember, this is a judgment-free space. Pop in your earbuds and let's chat. So I think I've always had anxiety, but I didn't know that it was anxiety. I just thought that's like how I was. I was growing up, I was a perfectionist. I never wanted to do anything wrong. I was like a goody two shoes in school growing up and I never wanted to be in trouble or disappoint my teachers or my parents or anything like that. And, and that was just kind of like who I was. And then that followed me to college. And I remember in college always feeling like I was held to a higher standard because I was an education major. And our professors said, like, if you screw up, (laughs) if you are caught at a party, an underage party on Jackson Street, because I went to York College and Jackson Street was like the party (laughs) 
party place. Like if you get caught on Jackson Street, like you can forget about getting a teaching job. And so like that put the fear of, you know, everything into me. And I just like being a teacher, like you are, there's that unspoken or unwritten standard of like, you got to keep your nose clean and you can't be seen at a bar. You can't be seen like on the wrong side of town or whatever. And so that just always they kept me like on that straight and narrow perfectionistic can't make a mistake has to be perfect kind of lifestyle and then with just with teaching i thought for a very long time that the only way to be a good teacher would be to like live at school mm-hmm. and if you were the first car in the parking lot and the last car to leave in the evening then you were dedicated and you were you know a good teacher I had no idea that that would lead to burnout (laughs) super fast and, you know, being on call at all hours of the night for email and on parent communication apps. I thought that's like what good teachers did. And so anyway, all of that kind of just was who I was. And I didn't realize that that was basically a form of anxiety until it was too late. (laughs) Right. And so I feel like I've always had – an anxious, perfectionistic, people-pleasing personality. And I feel like a lot of teachers do. I feel like that's kind of par for the course when it comes to educators in general and also like nurses, I feel Mm -hmm. like, sometimes fit that mold too. But yeah, just that was kind of my story. And eventually – and we will talk about this later – but eventually that led to some pretty – low, deep depression um, in their last recent years. I want to touch on something you said. You said something about being a perfectionist and anxiety. You like sparked something in me because I've never considered myself a perfectionist, but at times maybe that's what I was. But I I wonder, and again, we're not doctors, but if those go hand in hand with each other, because I was the same way. I did not want to get in trouble. I was scared to let my parents down. So I was the Mm -hmm. friends went out. I'd go for the reasonable amount of time and then I would go home. And I did that through college too. Like I would go to the college parties, but when they went to the after party, I went back home. So it was always like I was scared. And I think too, I've had anxiety. Gosh, when I look back, I was that timid, shy child. I had like that social anxiety, like where I didn't Uh feel like I fit in. But then once I got comfortable – some people would consider me an extrovert, but those are the people that know me. And I'm like, uh-uh. Yes. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite. Was it like ambivert? <laughs> Is that the Well, word? I call myself an introverted extrovert. Yes. So like I, I can be super outgoing and wild and crazy with like my best friends and mm-hmm. my family, but put me in a room of people that are like more like acquaintances or colleagues even that I'm not super close with. And then I kind of like tend to be the wallflower mm-hmm. wishing I could be the person that was yes. in the center of the room. I stay quiet. I feel – and you know what I hate is that I've given that to my kids too. My kids are like that too. But it made me realize that I want to say I started picking up on anxiety. I was never diagnosed until after my son – my oldest son was born. And at first I thought, okay, I just – and of course he labeled it postpartum postpartum depression at first. But then he – because I think my son was nine months old at the time. And I was like, really? Nine months later? And so the more he started seeing me, he was like, I'm going to give you the label of generalized anxiety. I was like, oh, okay. And the more I started learning about it and thinking about all the things I've gone through, I was like, that's what that is. And it just like 
takes hold of you. And I wasn't the anxious person, like scared to go to a grocery store. Cause I have a friend who was like, she was terrified. She had the anxiety to where she was terrified. Something was going to happen when she went to the grocery store. That wasn't me. Mine was more so I was worried about how others perceived me. And I know they always say, don't worry about what people think of you, but I can't help it. That is like, so hard I, <laughs> to not worry about what other people think. I mean, that could be a whole episode in itself. Exactly. I am horrible with that. Like I constantly worry, what are people thinking about me? Just even walking through the stores, I'm like, are they judging me? Are they thinking me? And I'm like, they didn't even notice me. But those <laughs> are just the things that go through my head and it is so hard to let that go. So yeah, and then put yourself in the classroom and teaching and – so I would say I've the same as you. We'll get into this in a second, but I went through lots of different forms of anxiety, and I would say it hit me the hardest my last year of teaching. And I, I still don't know that I've truly gotten to the root of it. Um, I mean, I obviously was in therapy. She does think it was because I just wasn't happy with my environment and where I was mm-hmm. and the stress of it all. And you know, stresses of teaching are one thing in general, but when you are struggling being a teacher, you add those stresses on and it just, it's like a downhill spiral from there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of therapy. Even Mm -hmm. when you're not struggling, I feel like therapy should just be a part of your everyday wellness practice. (laughs) Maybe not every day that came out wrong, but like your overall wellness practice. Right. I've been in therapy several times throughout my adult life. The first of which being after my mother-in-law passed away and I was a mom of two small babies. Caleb was like seven months and and Ben was a wild two and a half year old, literally climbing, spider monkey climbing walls. (laughs) Um, And my husband had just lost his mom. I lost my mother-in-law. We were all very close. Obviously, my husband (laughs) had a deeper loss than, than I did, but we all had a loss and there was just so much going on. We also had miscarried right before getting pregnant with Caleb. And so Caleb's pregnancy, I was completely terrified the whole time because technically I shouldn't have been pregnant with Caleb Mm. because I, you know, should have been waiting for my body to heal. And so I spent his whole pregnancy scared out of my mind. And then meanwhile, my mother-in-law is slowly getting worse. And then we have Caleb and my husband was in a very stressful job at that time. Literally, he got a phone call. He's in IT. He got a phone call about a server being down as I'm literally getting ready to push Caleb oh out. <laughs> and he took the phone call and the nurse was like <laughs> giving him the side eye. Push, honey, push. <laughs> yes, I'm right here. <laughs> So he had a very stressful job in it, like himself and then I was home with the boys for like six or seven months and that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's hard being a stay-at-home mom. I thought I would love it and I didn't. And so then there was guilt about not loving being home with my kids when so many people would have given anything to be right. home with their kids. And here I was. I was like calling my husband saying, I want to go back to school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway – my mom at one point, she was like, Rachel, like, you're not okay. Like I had dropped down to like 113, 14-ish wow. pounds and I'm 5'7". Wow. And I wasn't like not eating. I was just like 
all consumed by everything. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a therapist and she like, after I had kind of unloaded everything, she looked at me and she said, Rachel, I'll never forget this. She's like, Rachel, she's like, I need you to hear me. You've been hit by a tractor trailer. Only you haven't been hit by a tractor trailer. Because if you have been hit by a tractor trailer, number one, you'd be in the hospital. You'd have visible injuries. People would be rushing to your bedside saying, oh my gosh, can I'll watch the kids. I'll bring a lasagna. I'll like whatever, you know. And she's like, but you don't have any visible injuries. Mm -hmm. All of your injuries are inside. Yep. And no one knows it. Mm -hmm. And you've gotten really good at hiding it. And so no one knows how much you're struggling and no one's going to come and say, hey, I'll take the boys or hey, can I bring you a meal? Um, And she's like, you need to ask for help. Who in your life, let's make a list right now, who in your life can help you? Yeah. And and no one had ever put it to me like that before. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like really? You really think and, – and and because I was in such a state of like – I don't know if it's denial or like I've been doing this my whole life. Like why can't I handle it now? But um, anyway, she made me make a list of people that could help me. And, and then she like made me follow through with asking them for help. Wow. And that in itself was – very hard, mm-hmm. even asking my own mother. Oh, yeah. Um, which my mom was like there in a yeah. second. But like the fact that I was like, Mom, can you come and help me like mm-hmm. fold laundry or like whatever? And, and of course she did, but I felt like that's my job. That's my laundry. Yeah. That's my boy's laundry. Like she doesn't need to fold their laundry. But like <laughs> just yeah. asking for help was hard, but necessary. Um, And if it wasn't for my therapist saying, hey, look, you've been hit by a truck, only you haven't been hit by a truck, like, you know, giving me that perspective really helped me. Yeah. That's what – what is the saying? Like, check on the happy people or something like that? Like, the happy people? Yes. Check on the people that are okay because they're often not okay. Like, I I was not okay. was so good at putting on a happy face at all times. Nobody knew what I was struggling with. I mean, my closest friends did. But when others – it was my last year of teaching when I was having visible panic attacks and I was – my blood pressure and I had to go to the nurse all the time and the nurse is coming into the lounge to check my blood pressure while I'm eating lunch. You know, it was just all of those things where everybody's like, what is wrong? I'm like, it's just been years and years and years and years and it all just kind of exploded and I couldn't yeah. control it any longer. So, yeah, I was so good at putting on a happy face. But I also am the worst at asking for help. Even when people ask if they can help, I'm like, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I think I was, when I had my twins, my mom stayed with me the week before my induction um, because I had to have, I didn't have a C-section, but I had to have an induction so they could control the the labor because with twins, you never knew. And it was weird. I had to deliver in the OR, but, you know, talk about anxiety. Yeah. Um, But the week after they were born, I was like, I need to figure this out. So go home. Like she was willing to help. And I was like, no, I have to learn with twins and I have to do this and you can't live with me forever. And so it's just like, it's hard. I don't know. You're an Enneagram nine too, right? I think so. I want to be a three, but like, (laughs) (laughs) so when I answer the questions, I'm like trying to get to a three because (laughs) So 
So I think I think we're nines because you and I are a lot alike. But I think in stress, we're threes. I think I'm a seven or a nine. Yeah. I don't know. I always skew those tests because I want to be something I'm not. <laughs> I know. Same. I have a client that they did it – her and her sister did an episode on Enneagram. So it's really great. I'll have to link that because it talks all about it. But in stressful times, you can turn into something else. And so – Yeah. I like to be the fixer too. Yes. Like – I like to make sure everybody else is okay. Yes. No matter the cost to myself. Especially our kids. <laughs> yeah. When something yeah. goes wrong, I'm like, I have to fix it. I'm like, no, they have to learn. Like, I have this internal struggle. Like, I have like one guy sitting on, you know, the cartoons where yeah, one guy's on the, the shoulder and one the guy's angel. on the Yes. And it's like, <laughs> no, do this, no, do this, no, do this. I'm like, I don't know what to do anymore. So yeah, but I'll kind of take us a little bit down to what we had started saying is that a lot of the anxiety builds up to the point where it takes you down this spiral of, I'll be honest, depression. I ended up in a very depressed state and my therapist even said, and Rachel and I were talking about this before we hit record, is that it's like the chicken and the egg. What comes first? Are you so depressed that it causes you to be anxious? Or in my case, she said, my anxiety has built up so much that I don't know how to control it, that it has caused depression. And I've I'm, I'm obviously overcome that and not overcome completely, but I'm on the other side and I know how to handle things a little bit differently. I mean, it causes a point to where you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know why we sit in our closet, but it's just like <laughs> I sit in my closet and I would just cry. And I think it was because I felt helpless and I didn't know what to do. So the only thing I could say, and again, we're not professionals, we're not giving advice, but just get help, mm-hmm. ask for help. Don't let it get so bad that you don't know what to do because that's what I did. And I even felt some of this in college. I mean, college is like the time of your life and you're meeting all these new people and you're there were times where I would feel like something was just not wrong, but I just didn't feel normal. And I hate that. Sometimes I still don't feel normal. But no what is normal? normal? What is normal? <laughs> what, what is e- normal? What is, what is even normal? Like it's not. I have no idea anymore. <laughs> but so yeah, it's just something that has been very hard, very stressful. And then on top of that, like you had talked about your pregnancy and things like that, I went through fertility issues. Mm, yeah. So I had endometriosis. And so I know you always hear a lot about PCOS and that thing, but I also had endometriosis. So I was also going through that issue during school, college. And that's painful. Oh gosh. I was having like sharp pains, stomach aches, all this stuff. It turned into IBS, whole different issue. So many surgeries to figure out. Like I would have laparoscopic laser, like to Mm kind of remove the endometriosis. Found out I had ovarian cysts. Like it was just hard. So getting pregnant with my oldest was – difficult. I mean, I had like 45 to 50 day cycles. So it was like when something didn't happen, I knew I had to wait so long and I never knew when it was coming. And of course, what controlled the cycles in college was birth control because like that's, yeah. You can't do that when you're trying to Exactly. So it was like (laughs) so stressful. But finally I took, I don't even know if they use Clomid anymore, but I got pregnant with my oldest the second month of Clomid. So I was like, okay. And then he was colicky, of course, made me wonder do I want another one? But 18 months in, I was like, okay, we're ready to try again. So my doctor immediately tried Clomid. Well, the second month of Clomid didn't help. So the third month he increased it. I pretty much blew an ovary. <laughs> like I remember sitting in the salon getting my hair done and it just hit me. I was in pain. I was like doubled over. Anyway, I found out I had a cyst that ruptured. 
And so I was back in surgery. It was just this whole thing. Well, then two years later, I still hadn't gotten pregnant. And so my husband and I were finally like, okay. And so I quit teaching because I was like, it's the stress. It's the stress. I couldn't do it. Still wasn't getting pregnant. So we all to say I went through IVF, got pregnant with my twins. But just all of that stress, like it just wears on your body. Yeah. Um, ended up having another ovary removed. Five years later, had a hysterectomy. And all of that has just been wow. And I finally went to my doctor two years after my hysterectomy. And I was like, I feel like I'm crazy. I feel like I've gained all this weight. I can't function. I, and so they did a more extensive test and they were like, you have no hormones. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, no, I don't. But I was taking something that my OBGYN gave me and they were like, yeah, no, that's not enough. So I started doing all these injections and I started feeling really good. So you know, went back to teaching and then it was just still the stress of it all. And so all that to say that our bodies go through so much that plays so much into our mental health. And it's all about finding that balance that works for you and what you can do, but reaching out to other people and just, you know, if it's therapy, if it's just talking, like I can talk to Rachel and just tell her thing. And, you know, it's just things that, yeah, that help, but just know you're not alone. <laughs> If you're out there and you've yeah. gone through this, it it does help when you follow a path that makes you happy. And so I do know, and we've talked about this in other episodes, that teaching just wasn't that for me anymore. And so that has helped a lot is figuring out, you know, what's best for me and my mental health. And you've told your story and it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. I think it's, it's never a one-size-fits-all approach at all. Mental health is so unique and individualized. Um, and just the whole care, there's the whole need for care in our healthcare system for mental health and the lack of providers and the wait lists that oh are incredibly ridiculously long. So if you find yourself in like a super low point right now or in the future or whatever, again, we're not medical professionals, but we're just sharing what's helped us. And some of those things include, like Allison said, just reaching out to somebody, a friend, a trusted coworker, someone that you can just, you know, be open and honest about your struggles or what your worries are and things like that. And, and it might seem silly to you, but it's real and it's valid and your feelings are, you're allowed to have your feelings. Like I know I had some of the most irrational thoughts and like that my husband would look at me and be like, are you even kidding me right now? Like when we <laughs> would get in a drive through like Chick-fil-A or wherever, and there would be like multiple cars behind us. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, oh no, I can't get out. Like what if something <laughs> happens and I need to get out? And I can't get out. And and John would be like, oh my gosh, like seriously. See, like, in my <laughs> situation in those in drive-thrus is there's people waiting. I have to choose. I have to choose. I have to look at this menu and figure out what I want. And they're all behind me and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Like it is so irrational and stupid, but that's me. Um, yeah. Irrational and stupid. <laughs> no. But like no matter how crazy your thoughts are. Like they're your thoughts and they're valid and and they're yours. And if your husband looks at you like you're crazy like mine did, 
So be it. Go find a girlfriend that that says you're not crazy and will listen to you. Um, And then therapy, 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 therapy. Mm -hmm. I cannot stress that enough. And um, I know the the wait lists for therapists are ridiculously long. But then I also know there are some virtual options out there. So talking to a friend, therapy, and honestly – there is a place for like medical intervention when it's necessary. Like Allison, you had said you had like a, hor- a hormone panel run and you found out mm-hmm. through blood work and things that like you had no hormones and that plays a critical yeah. role in how you feel and mm-hmm. in your mental health, obviously. So, you know, going to your doctor for like those routine physicals and routine blood panels. I was saying finding the right doctor because yes. I went through about four or five before I found one that was like, uh, no, you have no hormones. I was like, yeah. no, I was told I did. <laughs> no, you Someone don't. that listens to mm-hmm. you. Yeah. I exactly. actually want to look into a functional health doctor because I've heard so many great things about them being able to take like that deeper look. Because I mean, not that anything is wrong with general practitioners or specialists, but they're only allotted so much time with each patient. Right. And so sometimes I go in there and I feel like I'm just a number and they're like, you know, that I've heard of these functional health and maybe somebody can reach out to me and let me know if they've been to one because I've heard a lot of good things where they just like you are basically a client that they're going to work with and not just – yeah. An in and out patient. So, exactly. I feel like that too. And a friend of mine just today, we were talking this morning um, through text. We were talking about mental health. As I had said about how I felt like in the situation that's going on in a family member's life right now, that they're just pushing pills. Like, here's oh, yeah. a pill for this. And like, call me in a week. When well, in the meantime, that pill made that person feel like a zombie, literally mm-hmm. walking into walls, barely able to sleep. And I am a firm believer in that. Like, yes, medication definitely has a role in this, especially when there's a chemical imbalance and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you can't just cure anxiety and depression with a, with a pill. There's got to be the cognitive work. There's got to be the the whole like wellness approach and and mindfulness and all of that. And my friend was like, yeah, you need the skills and then the pills. <laughs> like you need yeah. the skills and the oh, pills. Like but I was like, I've never heard that before. And that just made my day. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, well, I may have just really oversimplified it, but like, but not, but it's not though. You need the, the coping skills and right. the mindfulness and all of that. And then pair that with, you know, whatever other form of medicine that you may need, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, because I've been on so many different – now, I mean, I'm on hormone replacement therapy, but even just anxiety medication, I tried so many different things. And even last summer, I tried to get off of it and I spiraled. And so my doctor and I walked through – I even did like this genetic test, didn't know that was out there, to see oh. which medications work best for your body. Okay. Found out there was like two that was – not going to help in any any way at all. And I tried one and I was like, I feel nothing. I feel worse. So like two or three months later, she just put me back on what I had originally been on back when I knew I felt okay, but lessened the dose. She was like, you're not in the classroom anymore. You don't have that stress. Let's try it. And it's worked. And so then my therapist was like, you have a chemical imbalance. You're going to have to fill that in some way. And I was like, okay, I will, I will acknowledge that I will probably need medication to help me, but I also know I don't need as much as they were pushing on me. 
and I have ways to fix it, not fix it, but <laughs> supplement or I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And help myself. So. Yeah. And there's like situational anxiety and then there's like oh, chemical yeah. imbalances. And so like they're two exactly. totally different things. Yeah. That's one of the things she told me. She was like, if you were just dealing with this like while you were at work or while you were there, but it was 24 seven, I'd wake up in the middle of the night with it. And you know, so it's just, it is what it is. And something we have to deal with. But yeah, finding answers, I would just say there was a meme I saw the other day. It was like the doctor said they've been through so many years of school or whatever. And then the patient's like, yeah, but I've dealt with this my whole life. you know. So it's like the doctor only knows so much. So it's like keep advocating for yourself. Like I went to different doctors. I even went to an allergist thinking like maybe allergies are causing me to be – I don't know what I was doing. I was just trying anybody and everybody. You were just desperate I was. for answers. I was. And so if you still feel the way you were going in, like after you've seen this doctor and they've tried, it's not working. Try something else. Yeah. I know when I first tried to speak up about my anxiety, um, this was like – gosh, maybe like seven, eight years ago to my primary care physician because I was sharing my symptoms with him. And he's like, I think you have IBS. Oh, that's a, yeah. That's like a slap. And I'm like, well, that's like a symptom. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And then, and then he also said, because I was talking to him about like, like my stress at work and how I had two little kids and I was teaching and all this stuff. He's like, well, and, and, I, and he was just trying yeah. to, he was trying, like, I'll give him that. He goes, is it possible that you could just work less? Yeah. Could you work less? <laughs> he's like, could you maybe like teach part time? Not an option. Or maybe just like not work after work? And I was just like, okay, I have IBS and I should not yeah. work as much. That Sounds was good. so helpful. Here's my $20 copay. Uh, I'll see you next year. I remember in college, so I was having all these issues. They told me it was IBS, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And I went to a gastro – I think I had a colonoscopy. And while I was still in recovery, they were talking to my mom. And the doctor had the nerve to ask my mom, have you ever thought about taking her to see a psychiatrist? And my mom's like, what? Like he thought I was making these things up. Oh, And so I was continuously getting sick. Like anytime I ate, I got sick. I mean, it was a mess. Most kids in college were gaining weight, you know, the freshman 15. Yeah. I lost like 25 pounds because I was so sick all the time, all the way through senior year. This was even after I had graduated back when magazines were a big thing and you would like take the quizzes and I would never forget. There was like, yes, it was like either ovarian, it was some kind of cancer quiz. And I had all the symptoms, all of them, but one. So I'm sitting at work (laughs) and this is back when you had to look through your HR's book to find a doctor. And I just went down the doctors and I called the first one and I had asked for a female and they were like, no, she's no longer, she's actually transitioning out of the office. And it was a male doctor. And I was like, like going to gynecologist, a male gynecologist. I didn't know I was 22 and I was like, I feel weird. Yeah. And so um, she, the lady on the phone was amazing. She was like, if there is something wrong with you, he's going to find it. I was like, okay, fine. I went in there. I tore out that piece of paper in the magazine. He looked at it within 15 minutes. He was like, well, you don't have this. I was like, okay, (laughs) what do I have? He was like, and I do think you have IBS, but what I think you have caused the IBS. And that was the endometriosis. He was like, I, tr- I truly think you have endometriosis. And so he's like, the only way I can truly 100% say yes, you do, is to do a laparoscopic surgery. 
So I did on 9-11. I, my surgery was for September 14th. So my, like your pre-op was on the 13th. So 9-11 had just happened. He's like, do you still want to do this? And I was like, I mean, the world's going to go on. So yeah. So I'll never forget that. But yeah. Oh my gosh. So were you still in college? I No, I was a year out. I was still, Oh, yeah. okay. I was a junior in college. Yeah. I yeah. graduated college in 2000. So that was the next oh, year. Okay. So about a year and a half out because this was in, well, September. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was the strangest feeling. But sure enough, I had endometriosis. And once mm-hmm. he started treating me for that, my IBS went away. It was right. just, it's like you just have to find someone who knows what they're you have to and find who's willing someone to listen. who's listen. Yes, who listens because yes, you might have that symptom, like mm-hmm. IBS symptom or whatever it is, but there's usually something underlying. Like yeah. yes, you might be clinically depressed, but let's talk about what caused that right. depression instead of just throwing a pill at you. Like mm-hmm. let's talk about some therapy options. Let's talk about some mindfulness. Let's talk about understanding your nervous system and your right. neuro, like all the neuroscience behind that. Like what um, triggers your anxiety and right. what and I've had to learn if I know things are going to trigger my anxiety, I've had to learn to just remove myself from that, even though it's yeah. something I really wanted to do. Yeah. Like there are times where my friends are all getting together and I just would get so worked up. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but I just had to say, I can't go. And some people will say, just push yourself. Just go, just go, just go. Right. Now, sometimes that works. Sometimes it's like once you get there, it's like, oh, okay, I'm fine. But like when you just have that underlying feeling like – yeah. No, it's going to be worse. Yeah. Then you know yourself best. And I get that. That's why I left my job. Yeah. Because it was not allowing me to get better. It was only mm-hmm. causing me to get worse because right. of some things that had happened that I could not overcome. Or like every time I walked into my classroom, I just had flashbacks of yeah. what had happened to me and what was said to me. And I just, I could not keep going there every day and yeah. get better. So, yeah. All it's right. real. Well, it's out there. It's, it's real. It's, and it's okay to talk about it, which is why we had this episode on the podcast because we want everyone to know that – I mean, I feel it's okay to say that at some point in time, I feel like everyone's going to struggle with anxiety mm-hmm. and depression or something. I feel like it's just – we are. Stress, burnout, yeah. all of yeah. that. Yeah. It all kind of feeds in together. Yeah. And so the more we talk about it, the more it becomes less taboo and the more people realize, hey, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm <laughs> kind of normal <laughs> in a way, you know, because everyone's dealing with all these yeah. issues and we just want everyone to know that it's it's okay. And, you know, Allison and I, our DMs are always open if anyone wants to to talk or to, you know, ask us questions more about like our own experiences. Mm-hmm. Like we said, we're not medical professionals or mental health professionals. We're just two women that are sharing their story and hopes to yeah. help others. So, but our DMs are always open. Exactly. And I would love to hear how other people handle their stress and handle their anxiety and depression. If there's like tips that work for you, maybe it might help somebody else. So we can always anonymously share those things too. And just, you know, because what works for me may not work for somebody, but what works for Rachel may be something I could try and be like, oh, it worked. You know, it's just trial and error, which is the hard part. And it's frustrating and it takes a long time. And we're all still working through our own things 
I'm certainly not 100% better. I mean, we'll, I'll always go through things. So it's just – It ebbs and flows. Exactly. So thank you so much for listening. Um, please reach out to us. And as always, we would love for you to leave a rating and review. That's what helps other people find our show. And just let us know what you like and how we can better serve you on this podcast. All right. We will talk with you in two weeks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We would love to know what you thought about it. Please feel free to send us a message on Instagram at podcast with purpose. That's podcast.with.purpose. Or leave us a rating and review so others can find us. 